Hey y'all, welcome back to the Decolonized Christian Podcast, where we dismantle harmful theology and reimagine the Christian witness together. I'm really excited for this week's episode as we will be talking about colorism and we want to inform you on the front end. We know this conversation involves a, a lot of trauma, so take breaks as needed and feel free to engage in this conversation as needed. Uh, as always, I have Greg with me. Greg, say what's up to the people. What's up, people? We out here. We out here. And I have a guest and a friend I want you to meet, Miss Chartrice Crowley. She has, she is an incredible human being. She has taught me a lot about patience when it comes to investing in the younger generation. Um, I get the privilege of working with her day in and day out and doing justice with her um, on a very personal level. Um, and she is a dope minister. And I want to welcome her on the podcast. So Chartrice, we're so excited to bring you in into this conversation. And um, I'm excited for people to get to know your story, your perspective. So we want to talk about colorism. I think this is a topic the three of us feel very comfortable talking about, not because we have learned a bunch of book knowledge and decided to do this podcast. Really, it's because we have lived experiences that confirm the research <laughs> that we have both seen and heard and, and, and read about. And we are passionate about dismantling this myth, this disease called colorism. So I want to anchor our conversation in an experiment that is maybe um, somewhat familiar to to you all listening. Um, I know Greg and Chartrice will definitely know this. Um, so in the 1940s, uh, Dr. Kenneth and Mamie Clark um, designed a series of tests and it's called the, the Clark-Doll experiment, Clark-Doll test. Y'all have probably heard about it, where it was studying the psychological effects of colorism and, and being segregated in the black body. So in the Clark doll experiment, there were four dolls used and they were all identical um, except for the color. And the doctors would ask, which doll do you think is good? And which doll looks most like you? And the overwhelming majority of black children said that the white doll was the good one. But when it came to self-identifying which doll was them, they picked the darker skinned doll. And this led to a lot of tears, um, a lot of trauma um, for those kids. And it was used in the Brown versus the Board of Education case to say that there are harmful effects of segregation and to integrate is, is to actually break down some, some of these barriers. So I don't want to talk about this case specifically, but I want to, us to begin to interrogate and talk about the feeling of those kids, as I'm sure we all on this call uh, have had those experiences where we look at we look at dominant culture and say, this is the good. I'm not in the good. Therefore, I must be something different. Um, and so I really want to explore that feeling um, together. So to, to prompt us in, uh, what would y'all say is your definition of colorism? Um, me personally, I, I don't have a, I guess, a working definition that I just like know. But if I think about colorism, 
I would say that it's a favoring of a lighter skinned person because there are stigmas or feelings of disdain attached to darker skin. And it's not really based in any logic or reason. It's just this irrational feeling that a person has um, about someone who's dark-skinned. Chartreuse, um, I am looking forward to this answer because you shared with me in private that you did a whole research paper on colorism, and I geeked out. And this is why I wanted to have this conversation with I'm you. I'm here, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, absolutely. So drop some knowledge on us. So I, I look at it just slightly different as, as a, a, a fairer-skinned African-American woman. Um, Greg, I do agree with your definition. I just want to tack a little bit onto it. Um, and that is sometimes being ostracized or being made to um, feel less than because I am not as dark as some of my other brothers and sisters. Um, that has been kind of an experience that I've had a lot of my life by darker skinned women or well, mainly women, darker skinned women um, deciding that I feel a certain way about myself because I'm lighter skinned. So um, that's been a barrier. Yeah, that's good. And I think for my existence as a biracial person, I, I was told one time by a school admin of, of all people that I was black enough to play on the basketball courts and white enough to be in the classroom as well. And so I wasn't viewed as a threat. Um, as you all both have said, light skin is preferred. If, if people of color have to exist in a Western predominantly Caucasian world, light skin is the more acceptable color. And what I, I have found in that experience, I found myself saying, um, am I white enough and am I black enough? And ha and having those two thoughts consume my mind, especially at a young age, I was kind of left feeling like, where do I fit in this world where white people are super comfortable having me around somewhat? Because, you know, they, they can tell the racist joke and I can get, quote, half offended um, or I can even go. In, in, in the black community and they say, oh, what's up, highlighter? Oh, light skin. Oh, yeah, light skin dudes are making a comeback. And I'm like, didn't know that was a thing. I guess we're making a comeback. That's cool. I'm, I'm a part of something. <laughs> so having that experience um, is, is something I still have to this day. Um, and it's something I, I have to interrogate within myself as well. How have y'all seen colorism in action? I can't, I can't recount a specific time where I saw saw it in my own personal life. Um, I'm sure there are countless examples in like the mainstream media, but I I can't recount a specific example personally. As I stated before, I've I've had a couple of experiences with it myself. Um, the one that comes to mind that was probably the most affirming that colorism exists. Uh, was in college. I wrote a paper for my senior project on colorism. There's actually a book, and I before we get off, I need to look it up and make sure I give you know honor to that um, particular author um, and the name of the book. But um, in the middle of my senior project, this 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 was the book that I chose to research and and well, really the whole theme of colorism 
that was the basis of my research, that particular book, but I also did a lot of other research. Um, so as the faculty came together to um, grade my senior project, two women got into an argument so violent that they had to shut down my senior project and I had to wait to hear what my grade was going to be for those faculty members to be reprimanded for what had happened during the, the senior project. <laughs> so there was there was a darker skinned female from rural Alabama, um, very educated woman, but um, had some very strong views about what it felt like to be a darker skinned African-American woman. And then on the other hand, there was a very, very fair skinned woman from Louisiana uh, who referred to herself as part Creole. And she had some very, very different views. And the problem arose when they couldn't come to an agreement about their views in the midst of my senior project. And they got into a really serious argument. And at that point, I remember walking out thinking, oh, this is the very reason why I chose to do. You all are proving my point right here in front of me. This is the reason why I chose the topic. So, yeah. Yeah. In real time, it is so fascinating um, how how people of color, uh, we've internalized racism. When, when talking about colorism, I'm always drawn to that idea because what happens is we start to believe the myths and the social constructs around race um, that we, we start to judge ourselves according to that standard. So thinking about language, thinking about hairstyle, appearance. I've seen this at work countless times where I would be talking on the phone with somebody and then I meet them in person. They say, oh, I didn't think you would look like that because you you, you sound different. And I'm like, you mean I present white? You can just say it. You can just say your racist comment. Don't, don't hold back. It's okay in this moment to reveal your cards. I will quietly judge you. That's fine. Um, and I, I've also seen where, where colorism and we've internalized racism this so much that it becomes anti-blackness. And that's where I think my heart hurts the most. Uh, I was in seminary and we were talking about colorism. Um, and I was just speaking about my, my experiences, you know, I've can't tell you how many, um, white women have come up to me and said, Oh my gosh, I love your skin tone. I would love to have babies your color one day. And I'm like, so you're going to use a black man to get anyways, we're not going to go down that road. And I'm like, what, what an awkward thing to say. Very awkward. Very awkward. Um, and so this message of, of anti-blackness um, really popped up in my, in, in, in my story when I was speaking about that particular story and a darker skinned woman got really upset and just said like, as a lighter skinned male in our culture, you definitely have privilege. And I'm like, I'm not arguing that at all. I'm just arguing that colorism exists and we need to dismantle it. Um, and I was able to be curious about her perspective. Um, but in that conversation, it was very apparent that there's this sediment of anti-blackness that says, um, if you are lighter than this particular shade, then you may believe or live into some norms that are anti-black. Um, I, I think that's a basic fear um, uh, um, among darker skinned people that lighter skinned people see themselves as better. And I'm like, I can, I can kind of see that. Like I see how Hollywood has portrayed that 
definitely a hundred times over. Absolutely. And so um, thinking about this concept of racism that is internalized, these negative messages, this sense of not being good enough, that being black is wrong. Um, we're going to touch on that in our theological portion. Um, and I think it leaves people with limited choices. You know, um, you, you could talk about hairstyles, Greg. I know you and I have talked about this several times where in a professional setting, um, certain hairstyles not being acceptable on uh -huh. light skin or darker skin persons. Um, and that's really, really bothersome. Um, and so it's I really racist. Yes, like super racist. <laughs> I, I don't have hair, but I will still advocate for those who I, I don't have hair. <laughs> they will with it, you know. Yeah. And to and and to your point about the whole lighter, light lighter skin and darker skin thing, um, I, I just feel like we could definitely take it back to slavery. Um and I'm I did mention that uh, previously. Um we could definitely take it back to slavery just because, you know, I've shared my dad is light, he's light skinned. Lighter skin. My mom is dark, darker, and so like just the differentiation. Where when you were saying earlier, where when it comes to white people, how like well with the experiment you mentioned, how lighter skin was preferred. This is like how lighter skin black people were in the house. They were closer to the master and the mistress of, the, you know, so it's just like all those different dynamics and pieces kind of just have led us to where we are today amongst our, ourselves as Black people. Yeah, so that, I mean, when you said that, Greg, that kind of reminded me of uh, just some of the, the things that African-Americans have said to one another that's rooted and grounded in Field help, house help. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean, and and how it gets into you know that that to me, I believe that's where the whole narrative of a lighter skin person thinks they're better because of that, because of Absolutely. you know what I'm saying, because of what we experienced in slavery, and you know just seeing some of the adaptations in movies and and books and stuff over time, you see that played out, you know where not only are they believing that or being made to believe that it kind of becomes um, a way for those that are in charge or those that are, you know, considered masters or whatever you want to call them to play the, you know what I'm saying? To play the two parts, you know, to play, you know, you know what I'm saying? I don't think I'm getting it right what I'm trying to say, but you know, the, um, to continue the, the fuel of that, you know what I mean? By kind of standing in the midst and, and, and treating this lighter skinned person this way because they're in the house and treating a darker skinned person this way because they're in the field and they both see that and they both experience, you know, how they're being treated by slave owners, by masters and by their, um, I forgot what they call them. Those the, the overseers, you know, that there's a big difference in the way that they're treated. So then what does that do? That causes a rift between, you know, two people that are African-American but because we look the same and are being treated the same, we begin to hate each other. When you made that comment around um, the master separating these two groups, I immediately thought of power dynamics. That's the most basic mm. 
way to strip power from people is to pit them against each other and to say only one has access to to justice or to privilege or or to power we were talking about how um, there are borderlands and there are centered things in our culture so folks who are centered are white evangelical males like that is especially down the south where we live like that is the norm and anything outside of that is the borderlands and so by having these two distinct groups i think the the power dynamics align themselves in such a way that lighter skinned people are closer to the center um they may be in the house but it's not a home they are in the house but it's not a home but and yet that access to better accommodations is there and so to i'm just thinking out loud here to to begin to dismantle all of that is to really say mm-hmm. i'm not going to pick up that power i'm 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 going to lay that bare and and in my life i have tried to in in white spaces not pretend that i speak for black culture but and yet start to call out some things that are anti black and that for me has been really, really healing um, as, as people look to me and they're like, oh, well, he's lighter. He's brown. Let's talk about racism with him because he may understand a little bit more from where I'm coming from. I can't tell you how many um, white men in these last couple of weeks have slid into my DMs only to get crickets when I ask a question about like, what do you want my thoughts about, you know? Um, I'm I'm a safe option because of the color of my skin. I can't help but wonder if I was a darker skinned male, would you still come to me or would you have some type of fear? Uh, <laughs> it, it's just, you know, when I sit here and think about it, um, you know, you really, there really is a stigma attached to darker skin. And I, like, I, I don't, I just don't, you know, I can't really even fully describe it or put it into words, but um, something that just came just came to mind. Um, there was a textbook, and like textbooks are really bad for this about this, like depicting a certain thing a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there and there was a section. I have to go back and find it was a Facebook post, but there was a a book, and the chapter was about stigma, and it had like a black person being arrested oh lord jesus as as the image for the opening page of the chapter about stigma and i'm just like who who approved this This (laughs) (laughs) like why would you why why would you why why would you yes go with this image yeah it, and you know, and so again, it's like when we see these images, when we see the depictions, when we see the movies, the TV shows, and true enough, some of them are grounded in actual historical truths, like uh, Underground, for example. Underground was a great show; it was on mm-hmm. for two seasons. You know, clearly depicted. You know, you had Journey Smollett playing, and she was one of the house legs, and you had Aisha Hines was Harriet Tubman. So it's like. Even even with that, you know, you see, you just see the the truth of it depicted um, all the time around you, and so you just begin to internalize it, uh, like you were saying, William, and then it becomes a reality for people. Once they internalize it, it becomes real to them. One of the things uh, I would love for us to 
to talk about is how have you seen theology weaved into this idea that based on the color of your skin, there are presuppositions I have to make. And there's almost these unspoken kind of rules that people live by when they interact with different people of different colors. How have you seen the impact of colorism actually creep into our, our theologies? That's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know, like, I guess if I, if I were to say like racism, bread colorism, then I would start with racism. But to, but to specifically talk about colorism, um, I, I can't necessarily pinpoint within any theological framework where like people, people would, I guess, extract like principles or extract information to justify colorism as they have done with race. So like, like how do you, how do you see the theology intersecting with colorism? Me? Yeah, you, William. Yeah. I, I asked the question. That means I don't have to answer it. I, I thought this was a dollar. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. So back in, I think, the late 70s, the Mormon church actually um, didn't allow Black people to take leadership within the church. Um, it was a widely held theology that Black people somehow received their darker skin because of sin. And if you were to not sin as much, then you would be lighter. Um, Thank goodness they've dismantled that, you know. Um, But I'm reminded that theology is the work of the people and how we begin to interpret how God works in the world. So if we operate out of a racist lens, then colorism naturally, naturally goes in and weaves into our theology in ways that we really never have considered before um i was i was in um rural georgia and colorism definitely played a role in um church leadership over there um i think i've told this story on the intro to our podcast why i'm so passionate about these topics um i was denied employment because i have a white wife and they could not accept um, that this was happening. And so for me, that was racism. But as I dug down deeper, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's actually colorism because what happened is they didn't deny me access into the pulpit or into leadership. They, they offered me part-time. So they offered me something close to the center, but not the benefits. They offered me something very much like the house. So I didn't have to work in the field. Um, and, and thinking about that, I'm like, oh, colorism was definitely at play. And I think we see it in worship as well. Um, you know, if we want to be a multicultural body, um, we typically see worship songs, um, which Chartreuse and Greg, they, they are both worship folks and leaders. That's why I'm, that's why I'm leaning into this. Um, I, I think we do see worship um, in terms of the, the faces that are on the stage. I have noticed lighter skin people of color put, 
pushed to the front. Um, I've literally seen that. And so um, just thinking about how we go about representing people and displaying the image of God in our churches. But when it comes to being a multi-ethnic, multicultural church, have y'all seen colorism at work? I've not, I've not seen colorism at work. I think basically what I have seen is racism. Um, because if you claim to be a multicultural church and you only have certain people leading worship and those people do not look like, you know, the kind of environment that you're trying to welcome, which is everybody, then that's racist. That's, that's racist because if the leadership doesn't look like it is not multicultural, but you expect the congregation to be multicultural. I don't understand. Ooh, that's a whole word. I don't understand how that's ever going to work. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. if you're going to draw in people that look like myself, that look like Hispanics, that look like, you know what I'm saying? They need to be able to see themselves in place. And if they don't, are they welcome? And also, if you don't listen to the people that you have in, in, in the leadership as well, like they're just, they're just present. You're not listening to them. They're just a body. It's just the face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that I've seen too. that too. Yeah, that I've happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the most convicting image I, I received, and I think I've already shared this with the both of you, and maybe even on this uh, podcast before. But so many times we want to assemble God's people in all of their complexities, um, but we want to sing comfortable white songs you know we we want to gather the nations so we could worship to chris tomlin um, so what so what we want what in that case william what we really want is not multicultural we want multi-ethnicity right yep and i think we want i want i think we want folks not we <laughs> they want folks to assimilate right. into that yeah. style of worship absolutely they quite literally want disciples <laughs> <laughs> quite yes. literally i would love for chartreuse to talk a little bit more about the multicultural space just because that is a space i know she is passionate about um, greg and i actually served and met in a church that was multicultural and i think did a pretty good job considering who we were at the time and just the size and the demographics and the complexities of being in memphis tennessee where the civil rights movement is very present and is still going going on. And so, Chartrice, I would love for you to touch a little bit more on your experiences in those spaces. And um, I think we've established colorism is rooted in racism, so we can yeah. talk about racism yeah. and, and that. But how how has that experience um, revealed itself to you? Um, I have been a member of multicultural churches. And unfortunately, what I've seen, well, let me, let me, let me go back. So I've, I've been in spaces where I've been loved very well. I've been treated very well. I've been treated with the love of God. Um, I've seen uh, older white men and white women, you know, reach out to me and embrace me in love, in true, genuine love and not seeing the color of my skin. And that, that was amazing to see and experience. On the flip side of it, 
it's like once you get in and you begin to say, hey, so I'm gifted here and God uses me here and I know that I'd be a good fit here. What can I do to be able to share my gifts in this capacity? And then the walls go up because you, you look around. And again, like I said before, you don't see anybody who looks like yourself on leadership anywhere. Not on the praise team, not in the eldership, not, not, you know what I mean? Not, nowhere do you see, you know, people that look like you in positions, you know, of leadership. And that began to worry me because it was like, well, are we really, really, truly loving God and loving God's people in the right way if this is not open to everybody? Because God just doesn't call certain people to look a certain way. He just doesn't. And, you know, we all have gifts. We all have callings. And, and that rundown in Ephesians, apostles, prophets, preachers, teachers, all of us, all of us have the ability to step into that, you know, if we're called. So it was disturbing to see that I could love you so well, but that is only going to be to a certain extent. Is that, and I don't know if it was the intention, but that's exactly what it felt like. It's like you will, you won't go beyond this, this place. This is, this is the line that you won't cross. And that was really disheartening for me. And when I started looking around and where I work, which is in a predominantly African-American community, and then going to church at a multicultural, well, claiming to be a multicultural church, but it wasn't present, that began to pull at me. It was like, you know, I, it, it's very clear that I, I'm not going to ever have a position here of leadership. And not, and not, not it being about being hungry for position or, or, you know what I mean, or leadership or anything like that. Just genuinely believing that God has called you to a certain place, yet being told in so many words that you're not, that that's not going to happen for you. Because no one that looks like you is doing this in this church. So why is it your expectation that you will do it? So that was a big struggle for me and ended up basically withdrawing my membership because, like I said, the struggle of where I work and where I serve and then where I, where I attend church, they, they kept clashing over and over and over again. And I just, you know, eventually I was like, well, Lord, I just don't think that you want my heart to be torn like this. So let me step away from here and just listen to the guidance as to where you want me to go next. Yeah, that's deep. And as as you were talking, the the thought popped up in my head. If if we view this from a a power dynamic, very much like we were talking at talking about between light skin and and, and dark skinned folks, um, you can I can love you so well in this community, but as soon as you have some type of authority to lead me Ooh. in this. That's where yeah. I become uncomfortable. So that That's just good. screams power structure in my mind mm -hmm. to say, again, you are getting too close to the center. And I feel very uncomfortable if you were to lead. Yeah. Um, wow. I think that speaks, I think that speaks volumes. I, I, I often think about if Jesus were to come back today to our Western world, he would be brown. We know Jesus existed in an ethnic body. Um, right. not a white man. Sorry to spoil it for our listeners. That's just not a thing. <laughs> That's not who Jesus was. Um, but being from the Middle East, I just wonder 
how we would embrace Jesus. Would, would it be like your story of we would love Jesus so well, but to allow this person to get up and actually lead us and have some type of authority would predominantly white churches or just churches that are stuck in this white dominant perspective be uneasy with that. Um, and I think they probably would. Um, and so Greg, I definitely want to get your, your thoughts on, on this as well as, as we've spent a few years, um, in, in that space. Um, and I, I, I took a lot away from that space, um, but also it was very, very challenging at times. So what are your thoughts about multi-ethnic churches and colorism and, and experiencing racism and, and leadership? Um, I think as it relates to multi-ethnic churches, um, some people may find them stifling for Black people because you can't fully, you, you either can't or you always feel like you can't be your full true self, mm. whether it's whether it's in the way that you worship or um, things that you may do outside of the church that people find to be a poor reflection on who you are inside the church. Like there's just, uh, and I, I feel like what, uh, when Chartreese was talking, um, like the phrase invisible standard of whiteness popped up in my mind as she was talking. Cause it's something you and I have discussed in, in previous podcasts and just like previously, like it's always an invisible standard and it's just like, no one ever meets it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one ever meets it. So it's just like, we just find ourselves in a cycle um, of continually trying to meet it and we just never do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I posted this on Facebook. I've been on like a Facebook hot streak and I don't, I don't know why. I think it's just the spirit welling up in me to like get these things out into the universe to hopefully help some folks. But I was reminded that that unity void of actually holding people accountable is just abuse. Mm -hmm. So when we bring that into the multicultural space, that is to say, we're going to hold ourselves to a higher standard because literally we want to create a church that looks like the kingdom of God here and now. And that is a tall task and one worth definitely striving for, but it doesn't come without being held accountable to racist actions. Um, that's a part of the deal. And I, I see some churches, not all, um, only wanting black and brown bodies in the seats to claim that they're doing something in this world. But and yet they want unity, but there's no, you know, no one's really holding them accountable to the harm that is actually being done. And if a person of color were to bring that up, I most likely than not, they would be silenced. And it sounds like um, from your experience, um, that navigating these spaces when wanting a leadership role, right. And voicing those concerns, um, it was shot down. Um, and that to me is extremely disheartening because the, the theological why of the multi-ethnic church is to be a visible sign of God's kingdom here on earth right now. It's it it looks completely different. I think folks, when folks walk into that space, they say, "Ooh, this is different." Um, when I walked into that church in Memphis and I seen older white gentlemen worshiping with black women in a city that has a rich history of 
civil rights and justice, I kind of sat back and said, God is doing something in this space, right? Just by these people being assembled, um, there's some racial courtship going on here. Um, there's something brewing. God is at work in this church and God wants to do something special. But at the same time, we must be held to a high standard and we need to be called out on our blind spots. That, that experience has really taught me not how to run a multi-ethnic church, but just having a heightened awareness of I need myself, I need to be held to a high standard. And if I'm straying away, I hope somebody would say, hey, man, that was not cool. Like you actually did harm. And so I want to shift our conversation again um, into the theological realm. What do y'all think the antidote is to fighting colorism? And, and, and racism in these spaces where people deeply want to see the kingdom of God thrive? I think the starting point for me was probably all of 2020. Um, <laughs> Ooh, take your pick. And just, listen, and just seeing God uproot so much stuff and so, so many things like floating to the surface of the, the hearts and beliefs of men. And um, mostly white men, just be honest. Yeah. And I no think, shame here. Yeah, I think I honestly think that's 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 the starting point first of uncovering what's really there. And now that we know what's really there, our next move needs to be restoration. Thing is, everybody has to be on board for restoration. And I cannot stand hearing said over and over again, well, we need to operate in peace. We need to operate in love. And we need to, we do, we do, but it's not just us. You know what I mean? So it, you know, it, 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 it makes it look as if black people are supposed to be quiet and accepting and peaceful and loving and operate Christ-like and all of those things, but they're only set for black people. while. Some white people, because I won't say all, some white people are just, you know, allowed to believe the toxic things that they believe and still be Christian. And it's like, how can you live? How, how can you live in that space? It's really an oxymoron because you're sitting here saying, oh, you know, Jesus is love. Love your neighbor. But only if you look like me. <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 literally abuse that's why i use that language it's literally abuse absolutely and it's toxic to say hey someone who has experienced abuse you have to forgive you have to find joy you have mm -hmm. to make peace and it's like i that's not how it works no way mm -mm. that's not and how let me work. tell y'all something that i saw and i wish i'd have kept the video it i mean it brought me to tears and i have no idea what city it was in I don't know what church it was. I don't know anything. All I know is that these um, white protesters, y'all may have saw it too, came and kneeled before black protesters. And they said, we repent for the crimes against you as African-Americans. We repent on behalf of our ancestors for the things that were done to you from people that look like us. But we want you to know we love you and we don't feel like this. I think that's where we start. The problem is going to be getting everybody on the same page to understand there needs to be repentance. There needs mm -hmm. to be a turn. 
we cannot continue in the same vein because it's wrong. It's just, you know, I don't know any other way to describe it. It's just wrong. I was talking to a friend on the way over here and I was bothered by the thought of it takes the, the, the scriptures to convict me of that. But in yet fighting racism and dismantling these awful societal norms is it should be innate in us to do that. It shouldn't take a holy book to recognize that racism is wrong, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of where you fall in terms of faith. That thought really bothered me of are 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 we the type of Christians that only move because a book convicts us or we have the spirit deep within ourselves to say, this is not right. And my foundation and the remedy is going to be through the scriptures, through the spirit, but it should bother me regardless if I'm a Christian or not. Like if I did not believe in Jesus, would I care about my neighbor? Um, that thought really, really, really bothered me as I was driving in today. I do know what you're talking about, Chartreuse. And I got goosebumps just hearing you retell it. Um, what a beautiful image of restoring power back to Black people. Mm, yeah. Being able to say, in this moment, you are centered and my whiteness is not centered. I think mm-hmm. that that was yeah. most moving for me. Like, I know the cameras are going to be on me because I'm we're a massive crowd of white people. And I think culture expects us to act a certain way and for them to just completely relinquish that control and say, we're not going to center ourselves in the conversation. We're just going to repent because when we repent, we don't center ourselves in it, right? We center God and we say, God, I'm available to you. And so that is a beautiful picture. And the sincerity, the sincerity was so present and it just, yeah, it just really moved me because I have, I have heard of things like that happen before, but I've never seen it with my own eyes. Powerful stuff, Greg. You got some thoughts? I don't. No, I, I, I don't. I don't. I know. I know you're shocked. Yeah, I am. So <laughs> y'all, y'all are both educators to your core, and I love that, and it's a gift. I wish I had. I know where my gifts lie, and education is certainly. Not one of those things, even though I pretend to sometimes. Is there anything that y'all would like to share that you haven't shared already? Yes. Um, I want to share a couple resources for the people. Um, There is a wonderful online Christian community um, on Fit Christian. And there is an article. If you just Google on Fit Christian... The name of the article is Colorism at the Cross. And also another writing, um, Christ, Colorism, and the Contemporary Church. Both of those pieces, wonderful pieces of writing. Chartrice, did you ever find the name of that? I did. Um, yeah, I had it. And for some reason, it completely slipped. So hey, that is okay. Circle back around to me because yeah. I just had it on my phone. For sure, for sure. One uh, thing I was thinking about uh, as we were talking is um, this theological point and practical point that we are all made in the image of God. And to begin to actually live into that um, is hard work, 
but to ignore it is really easy. And when we ignore the image of God in one another, we actually miss a piece of God in our lives, right? So it's counterintuitive to everything that we were taught growing up. Like, hey, if you want to be closer to God, read your Bible, go to church, pray, all these things, right? But when we're talking about dismantling racism and colorism, the easiest way is to be in relationship and honor people's divinity and their humanity. Absolutely. Because what ends up happening is what what ends up happening is you see another dimension of God that you didn't before and it starts to change how you operate and you become more Christ-like. You you look more like God. Um I can't think of a single person that ever entered a relationship with somebody who's different than them and said, well, that was a terrible experience. I'm never making friends with people like that again. Um, I've never heard that. A, a lot of times our transformative experiences come from uh, these experiences where we've met somebody different than us, but, and yet we connect with them. And I think for the Christian, this should be a no brainer. If we theologically believe that all people are made in the image of Christ it would behoove me, that's Greg's favorite word, it would behoove me to actually suppress the, the, the spirits working in my neighbor because they have different melanin than I do. Um, so that thought keeps me grounded. It helps me decolonize. If for some reason I just don't jive with a person, I'm like, you know what? That was the face of God. And there must be something wrong with my judgment, not necessarily them. I need to do that work within myself because I just encountered Christ in this stranger um, and I should be able to recognize their, div their divinity and, and their humanity in that moment. And so if we begin to operate out of that lens, I think we won't uh, lend ourselves to racist behaviors. Yeah. So I, I wanted to give homage to the authors of the book. Um, it's called The Color Complex. And it's by Midge Wilson, Kathy Russell, and Ronald Hall. Um, that was the book that I used for the bulk of my research. There were some other books, but that was the one that I referenced the most. Well, we want to thank y'all uh, for being with us today. Thank you to Chartreuse and Greg uh, for having this conversation. This is a dream come true to see two of my favorite people come together and finally meet each other. Y'all have a lot in common, but we can talk offline about that. Um, our hope for you is that you would begin to dismantle this in your own lives and to become an advocate for the kingdom of God and work toward justice and work toward peace. And we want to remind you that injustice never rests, but you have to. Injustice never sleeps, but you must. And above all else, decolonization doesn't happen in a day. Peace. Peace. Peace.